Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 56. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. So, okay, we got through High School Musical. We, we saw a lot of the Wildcat basketball team. We're going to shift our focus now. Going to shift it over to football. High school football, of course, the NFL just kicked off. Hopefully we're three weeks in. Some of you are happy. Some of you are not. I am absolutely miserable. But we are here to discuss Remember the Titans. I remember when, uh, when this came out, this was a big deal. Yeah, definitely. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it way after the fact, but I remember the buzz around this movie. Although, I have to, I, I have a confession to make. I constantly get this confused with the replacements. Both football movies, they both start with R, and in my head, I have to go like, wait, is this Denzel or is this Gene Hackman? And I can never remember. With all due respect, they came out around the same time. They both feature dancing football teams. Exactly. But they could not be more different. No. You couldn't get more different than Remember the Titans and the Replacements. This is honestly not my wheelhouse when it comes to sports. I'm more looking forward to Mighty Ducks and Miracle when we eventually get to those. So we're going to go into the plot here. And I do have a bit of a disclaimer here. Bear in mind, if you have seen this movie you know the subject matter. If you have not seen this movie, first off, this review might not be for you because we're going to spoil everything. So maybe you want to go watch the movie and then come back. But for those who are going to continue on here, this is heavy subject matter. Absolutely. It's very heavy subject matter. Um, It's in 1971, fresh off of really the height of the civil rights movement. So a lot of what happens in this movie, it's it's a splash of cold water. And so we're going to do our best to discuss everything and, and as sensitive we, as we can and, and get through the plot here. So just please understand that before we get in because we would hate for somebody to be insulted or offended. But really, we're just going over the plot of the movie and we're, we're talking about the script. And of course the differences between fact and fiction. Because it's not uncommon for these based-on-a-true-story movies to play with the truth a little bit and to add a little bit. Absolutely, and that's just one thing that we ask you to keep in mind is that, you know, we're here to review movies, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to treat this like any other film that we've done, but it does not necessarily reflect our views on anything. Correct. So the film opens. um, We initially see the Titans football team attending a funeral, though we aren't sure whose funeral it is. The narration informs us that in Alexandria, Virginia, a white and African-American school were merged to form T.C. Williams High School. They were integrated. We meet Coach Yost, a future Hall of Famer, as well as his daughter Cheryl, um... And a number of his players, Ray, Gary, Allen, just to name a few. Uh, Coach Herman Boone, who is played by Denzel Washington, 
has moved from North Carolina to be an assistant coach on the football team, but is promoted to head coach, much to the dismay as himself as well as others. The reason that is is because there was speculation that perhaps he had been given the job because he was an African-American. And he tells a story about how he lost a job that he had rightfully earned based on his race. And he did not want to go and do this to Coach Yost. However, there were people that rallied around him. He decided to do it. And given the time period, um, some of the parents of the football players were not all that happy about him joining on either. And we'll just leave that there. Well, Boone apologizes to Yost and asks him to stay on to run his defense, and Yost, with the rest of his players, eventually agree, because Yost was not going to do this at first. Coach Boone, a self-proclaimed dictator, uh, is set, um, he set in his ways of not only building a championship football team, but also to integrate the team in terms of race and he believes that this will help build a winning culture. In spite of Coach Yost's protest to Boone's totali- uh, totalitarianism in regards to his coaching style, the players do, over the course of their two-week training camp in Gettysburg, start to embrace each other as teammates, and the Titans come together. Um, specifically, Lucius Campbell and the team captain, uh, the aforementioned Gary Bertier. We are also introduced to Ronnie Bass, a quarterback from California who kisses Gary during training camp, leading to much speculation about Ronnie's way of life. The team ends up nicknaming, nicknaming him Sunshine, not only for that act, but also because he was from California. His father had uh, come over because he's a military man. And it's a military family. They move around. And his father wanted him to play for this team because he liked the fact that the team was integrated in terms of race. No one seems more upset, though, about this integration um, than Ray. He's the one that's kind of got his feet planted firmly against it. And it's not so much that he... I mean, he does say it, but it's also his actions during camp and during the season. Well, the team returns to school in spite of many protests and prepares for their first game. During their first game, the running back, Petey, has a rough time. So after getting benched, Yost uses him at a linebacker, and it turns their fortunes around, leading to a victory. But it also leads to Alan Bosley being benched, and his father flips out about this, of course. Um, In spite of their win, the community isn't ready to embrace the new Titans, but while Gary decides to stick with his new teammates, Coach Herb calls it quits on the Titans. He was the special teams coach that Yost had brought over to the staff. Some of the Titans players call a players-only meeting in spite of their winning record and rally behind each other on and off the field because they call attention to the fact that they've been winning, but it doesn't really mean anything. Ray, in their next game, gives up on a block, leading to Rev, the quarterback, being injured. His season is over, and Sunshine comes in as the new quarterback and helps lead the Titans to victory. Gary then kicks Ray off the team uh, for giving up on his block and leading to the injury of their teammate. Slowly, the community starts coming around, and the winning streak continues. 
Coach Yost gets nominated for the Virginia Hall of Fame, and the board tells him if he wants to get in, he must throw the game for the opportunity to advance to the state championship. This is during a regional game. During the game, the officials are against the Titans, but Yost threatens to go to the press and expose the fraud. The game gets called fairly, and the Titans win, and the board tells Yost he just cost himself the Hall of Fame. After winning at regionals, Gary is in a car accident, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, Offensive lineman Louis uh, Lastic comes into the locker room right before the game, their championship game, and tells Coach Boone that he's going to go to college. Now, this is important because he had said, I'm trash, I'm nothing, I'm just going to play football, and that's going to be the end of it. But Boone sort of takes him under his wing and helps him with his assignments because he wants to see him go to college because Boone does want what is best for his players. He just has a very unique way of showing it. Yost tells Petey that... He is going to be benched for this championship game because he felt that he had given up on his teammates in the earlier game, and the Titans take the field while Gary watches on television from his hospital bed. Despite being down 7-0 at halftime, the Titans don't give up. Allen admits that he can't keep up with the opposing team and gives his spot up to Petey, and the game starts to turn around. Down 7-3, the injured Ray, or Rev, I should say, is brought in on a trick play, and as time expires, the Titans complete the comeback and win the state championship 9-7. It is at that point that we learn that the funeral they are attending is Gary's, who unfortunately, um, in spite of the fact that he was able to become a gold medal athlete in the Paralympics and had moved on to a successful career, uh, was killed by a drunk driver. That is the plot to remember the Titans. I want to talk about the script here before we go into fact versus fiction. As I said before, a lot of these based on a true story films play with reality, which I will preface this right now in saying I I don't like when films do this. It's my opinion that if you found a story that you thought was unique enough, inspiring enough, controversial enough, whatever your case may be, to make it into a film, tell that story. You want to throw in a motivational speech. You want to throw in some chippy or snappy dialogue. You want to alter a little bit. Okay, I suppose, for example, in Miracle, Herb Brooks gives this wonderful speech in the locker room. That's not nearly the speech that he gave in reality. I can't use the language he used in his real speech. Cool Runnings, another Disney movie that was based on a true story. If I remember correctly, they pushed the bobsled over the finish line rather than carried it. So it's little things that you can do. And then you get a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody. Which we've talked about on the show before. They completely... Now, Remy Malek was unbelievable as Freddie Mercury. It's a good movie, but they completely alter the timeline to create drama. Well, I think that one seems far more 
terrible to us because it's such recent history and because we're both into classic rock, like we obviously know Queen's history. So that one seemed a lot more heinous to be messing with the plot like that. So with all of that being said, we'll talk about the script here and then we'll talk about film versus reality. Well, I agree and I disagree with you because I get that way a lot about book adaptations because I'm a big reader and 99.9% of the time I'm going to say the book was better. But maybe this is just my producer brain talking. There are sometimes liberties that you have to take because when you're looking at this in the context of a film, it's not going to be as interesting if you leave it the way it is. Because at the end of the day, you're telling a story. And to tell an interesting story... Yeah, sometimes you do have to take a little bit of liberty on the facts. I get what you're saying, though. You know, I give Disney a lot of credit here because you did make a period piece. And you made a period piece that takes place during a time where people were not as accepting as they are now. And that's not to say that racism does not exist today. It does. The sad reality of the world is that at some level, whether large or small, whether we want to admit it or not, there are always going to be biases against race, against gender, against religion. This is just the... When you have this many people living in the world and everybody is their own unique person and has their own unique opinion, you're never going to end all of it. Try as you might. So I give Disney credit for tackling this movie and I give them credit for not shying away from the harshness that was that reality. Absolutely. Granted, they still Disney-fied it, but they did tackle these issues head on. Pun not intended. I think where the movie succeeds here is that it does play both sides. Absolutely. Because you do have language that is harsh in terms of uh, derogatory terms towards African Americans. You also have it towards Caucasians. And it's like um, there's a scene where Cheryl is losing her mind during a football game and Coach Boone's daughter turns and says, are all white girls that crazy? So I, I think that the movie did do a fair job of showing both sides because let's remember something the the point of this movie was to unite the team mm -hmm. and that's not just gaining acceptance from one race it's gaining acceptance from both and i think that the movie did accomplish a lot of character growth in in almost every character to touch on what you said before about this film doing a good job of playing both sides, I think that's because of the setup and the way that they drive the point home about the group mentality. Because you're taking two groups of people who are extremely set in their ways and they do it right off the rip. It's, you know, after the shooting in the grocery store, Ryan Gosling comes in and he tries to rally 
the team around going down to the to the store and it really doesn't take much convincing they're just ready to go and then Yost has to stop them um so I think you know it was really effective to have that broken down I mean movies like this are are like catnip to me where it's a focused issue but obviously it's a metaphor for the bigger picture however this one because it is based in fact it plays right back into the hand of the story but what I like so much about it is that it's not heavy-handed I mean yes as we said before Disney does do a good job of confronting the issue and they really don't hold back but it just unfolds naturally without being preachy, which I appreciate. Yeah. And it would have been easy for it to become very preachy because the racism that is portrayed in this film, specifically from the character Ray, it's horribly awkward and uncomfortable. It's palpable. And you can cut the tension with a knife, which is not only a credit to the script, but also to the direction and the actors. Absolutely. I do think that Sunshine, Ronnie Bass, he adds a unique drama to this whole thing. Absolutely. Now, they never come out and say that he is or is not gay. There are some that believe that what he di- what the character did in the film was done jokingly, but they never out and out address it. I don't think it was a joke. I think it was to prove a point. So do I. And I kind of wish that they explored it more. I mean, in a way, I'm glad that they didn't confirm or deny it. But what it actually reminded me of... Um, I believe, I want to say it was on Dawson's Creek, but um, I'm like 99% sure that that was the television show. But basically what they did was that there was a gay player on the football team and the opposing team was always gunning for him and they they were really roughhousing him. Um, And what the team did was they muddied up their jerseys so you didn't know which number he was and then they all put on makeup so you couldn't I mean obviously we know we're watching the actors like you could tell them apart but I just thought that that was a really clever way for the team to rally behind this character and to take a stance on it and I kind of wish that you know maybe that Regardless of whether or not Sunshine was gay, maybe that's what kind of united the team behind him. Right. And it's it's just another obstacle that the team has to get past, especially once he becomes the starting quarterback when Rev is knocked out. Now, I can't quite figure out how the doctor on the sideline knows right away without really observing him or doing any sort of real medical treatment or x-ray that Rev has broken a bone in his hand and that he's going to miss many weeks. I don't know how he knew that right away. Yeah, that's a little aggressive storytelling right there. That was very obvious exposition. And yeah, that, that, that's one of the weaker scenes in this film. 
Yeah. And I think another scene for me that is kind of weak. I understand why they did it, but it's something that I've never I've never really understood it. Well, I've understood it. It's just that I've I've never looked at it and taken it seriously is when they dance on the field. When they do their we are the Titans dance. I understand why they put it in the movie, but it takes me out of it. But it's kind of like, what else would you have had them do? Well, I don't know. I think rallying around each other to defy the odds, have an undefeated season, and win a state championship was enough. But they have to make it public. That's the whole point, is that they have to prove that they've overcome this issue, and it's not about race anymore it's about them wanting to win they've addressed it and everyone else needs to get behind them as well and just treat them as a football team and stop worrying about something that they no longer care about especially after they eliminated ray true um i think that towards the end of the movie emma who is gary's girlfriend she comes out she's the worst played by kate boswick or uh, Bosworth. Bosworth. Um, she is a racist. Gary, like out and out. Yeah, doesn't hide completely it completely in the open. Um, Gary tries to get her to befriend, um, Julius. Julius, the way that he has, she's not having any. It's not until after he's in the car accident that she goes and extends her hand to Julius to introduce herself properly the ga- the way that Gary wanted her to but she does it right before the championship football game she never would have gotten on that field no one would have ever let her get on that field yeah that's a little unrealistic but the other thing is kind of like it's too little too late I mean okay great she learned her lesson but it shouldn't have had to take Gary's accident to teach that to her and the accident didn't really look that serious. I'll be honest with you. The, the accident, the way they portrayed in the film, does not look like an accident that would have left somebody paralyzed from the waist down. Well, I mean, that's, that's not really for us to say, but... Well, I'm saying, when you think about what would, in, especially in a film, and a car accident that would leave someone paralyzed, this is not the accident that you would think. This is like maybe... You got bumps and bruises and you broke your nose on an airbag. Especially because, and this I think is also one of the weaker points in the movie, and it's supposed to be, you know, one of the most dramatic. He's already going slow because people are obviously walking around, you know, the kids are out. It's like a Friday or Saturday night or whatever. People are just kind of walking through town. They're all waving at him. So he's already going slow. Why? When your eyes are obviously not on the road you decide to put your foot down is beyond me. That's not to say he deserved what he got, but it, I don't know. I, I just feel like the setup for the accident was so stupid. And when he got hit, I would have bought this as something that would have left him in the shape that he was in if they had T-boned him and hit the door. They T-bone him and hit the quarter panel on the rear of the car right. and spin him out, but he doesn't hit anything else. Right. So it you, the whole you're right the whole setup to it I kind of felt was watered down. 
That's that's a great way to put it. And not even like Disney-fied watered down. It it's just like I get it. You're not going to put you're not going to put blood into a Disney movie, but not unless you're the Black Cauldron. Yeah, that's true. But um yeah, it it just the two and two didn't add up for the accident or for for the result of the accident. Something that I kind of got tired of as well was a lot of the bickering that happened between Yost and Boone. Because at times, they were 100% on the same page. And it, it didn't start that way, of course. Like every other character in this movie, it took time to build up to that. But I felt like at times, their relationship would regress. And I didn't really like that that happened. Um, I actually disagree with that. Um, I kind of, I, I feel like they really didn't argue that much. Like they never got to a point where they actually had it out. It was just kind of like you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. Um, what I do really like too in that regard, you know, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before of they did a really good job of, of playing both sides. Um, when they first find out that Boone is going to be the new coach and that Yost has to work under him, they they never really have words over it from the get-go. Those strong reactions about, you know, their new positions come from Cheryl, Yost's daughter, and, you know, the community really rallying behind Boone. Right. So you really never have that moment of Boone and Yost kind of pushing against each other. And maybe that's why you feel like there's so much bickering because it does play out later on. Well, that's what it is. They have a little argument about press conference that they were having before the regional game. And then even during the championship game, they start bickering on the sideline where... Denzel Washington says to Will Patton, well, if your defense would stop them, we'd have an opportunity to get back in this game. Meanwhile, the defense only let up seven points in the first half. I I failed to see where the defense didn't do a good enough job there. They just seemed like they were at each other's throat for no reason. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of childish bickering. I feel like... This film does a lot of that, though. It builds, it builds, it builds, and then it puts the exclamation point on it, like, later on in the film. It doesn't have the hard hit at the beginning where you think that there's a big issue and then they unpack it. Like, for example, when when Boone first takes over, you know, he didn't... He didn't rally the team, you know, when when they're when they're on the buses, when they're getting ready to go to camp. He didn't really rally the team and say, this is what we're up against. You know, obviously, I'm in a new position and we're all going to have to get along. There was no sugarcoating it. He just went to full on drill sergeant mode and it didn't matter who he was talking to or what the color of their skin was. He was treating everybody the same and he was just going to discipline them until they got it. Yeah, the only person that he really did take under his wing was Lewis. 
because I think he appreciated the fact that Lewis, other than Sunshine, was really the first one to say, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your background is. I'm here to play football. And they were both too complete. They both, those characters have completely different backgrounds and why they think that way. First of all, I love Ethan Supley. Big Boy Meets World fan. He will always be Frankie Stacchino to me. Um, but I love that with him, it's just kind of, you know, there's just a complete, he's colorblind. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't know how, how else to be. He's just a simple guy and just wants to play football. So it doesn't phase him whatsoever. And Sunshine, I think that has to do with him being from California is, you know, he's just much more laid back and much more accepting. Right. They're very progressive. And Lewis ends up being probably the most endearing character throughout the entire film. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he's all about, like you said, being colorblind and just wanting to play football and, and be a part of the team. And then he goes to college. There's a lot about him that's totally endearing. Yeah, and I think it does play well against Boone because he is, you know, as I said, a drill sergeant with everyone else, but he's totally got a soft spot and he says, you know, give me give me your report cards or whatever it is, and he, he says he's going to basically help him with his academics. Right. So obviously that's a lot of what happens in the film, things that stood out to us in the plot, things that stood out to us in the script, but I would be remiss if I didn't do what I mentioned before and, and sort of compare the fact versus fiction here. Yeah, because I feel like that did change the story somewhat. It didn't change the story somewhat. It made its own story. The, the fact is, almost everything that happens in this in the movie is not what happened in reality. This is one of those films where it should be inspired by the true story, not based on the true story. Because you'll see that sometimes when they make a film, it'll say inspired by a true story or inspired by the book or inspired by the story of. Right. I believe like The Blind Side, another football movie... That was inspired by the true story. They were a lot more based in the fact. Yeah, well, this totally rewrites history. I talked about how Ray is one of the more awkward and uncomfortable characters in the film. That's because Ray doesn't exist. Yeah, they did make up a few of them. Here's the thing. I don't I mean I I understand Ray was supposed to he he was supposed to be example or supposed to be an example of some of the over the top racism that this country had endured channeled into one character but with all of that being said there's enough drama here with the schools being integrated, with some of the community not standing behind the integration, I think to create a character and make him so over the top, I think that it sensationalizes something that really does upset a lot of people. 
And I don't think that perhaps that's the right thing to do here. There's enough drama as is. I don't know that that character is necessary. I'm actually going to disagree with you for two reasons. First of all, it is a football movie. If you only give three of the characters' names and develop them and build a story arc, you're going to wonder who the entire rest of the roster is behind them. So you do need other background characters like the Rays, like the Ryan Goslings, like Donald Faison to, you know, support the rest of the film. But more to the point, I think that Ray pushes Gary's story forward because even though, and I, you know, Gary has enough of his own arc because of his relationship with Julius, which by the way, I love. I love that they not only come to accept each other, but the bond that they form is pretty incredible. But it just kind of layers Gary's story a little bit more because it's not only that he learned to accept the new school, accept the new team, but like he really decided to take a stance on what his beliefs are. And up until that point, Ray was his best friend and he cut him loose. Right. So I think that just makes Gary a stronger character. Well, Gary's mother did not want Gary spending time with Julius, was not interested in hosting Julius for dinner. Gary had Emma. I feel like he had enough bad influence in his life that he was willing to push to the side for the greater good. That's true, and he did kind of draw the line in the sand with Emma as well. Right. Denzel, at times, seems over the top. The reason why that is is because the, f- the fact is Coach Boone actually was that way. I know this because Boone got fired. See, they don't tell you this in, in, at the end of the movie. Yeah, they say he coached, I think, another four seven. Years, oh, four more years. And now he's retired. He was fired for abuse of players. Allegations made by not only players, but other coaches. That's pretty crazy. So it's and not, it's not thinking, as light and fluffy as we all thought. No, because I love the Rat Pack reference in the beginning when they're getting ready to get on the buses and he calls it, what is it, uh, Jerry? D- Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, talking about Ray and Gary. If some of the racism seems a bit over the top, that's because it was. There were no protests outside of the school when they came back from that camp. Why? Because this movie takes place in 1971. You are led to believe that they are integrating the schools. And this school, with mixed-race players, is playing other teams in their conference that are all white. Mm -hmm. None of this is true. Alexandria seems a bit far north to have lines drawn like that. Right. They integrated the schools in 1965. And by the time 1971 rolled around, every football team was integrated. Hmm. The truth is that 
these were two schools, or three schools, I think, that were put together to form T.C. Williams High. And in their first season, they did go on with Coach Herman Boone to win a state championship. However, this whole notion that they were the only ones to do it is a total farce. Not true at all. The Titans dance on the field that I love so much, fake, never happened. Right. Never happened. Sunshine's kiss on Gary, fake. It never happened. But that's the point that I'm, I was making before, is that it made the story more interesting. I understand that, but it, th- on my, my viewpoint of that, my counterpoint is you thought this story was good enough. You thought it was dramatic enough. You thought it was entertaining enough. You thought it was educational enough. So why fabricate so much? Like the Hall of Fame storyline, the blackmail against uh, Coach Yost Mm -hmm. and how they wanted him to throw the game or they wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame, didn't happen. There was no Virginia Hall of Fame for high school coaches in 1971. Fake. To create drama. But... Okay, here's another thing that the film fabricated. And this is where I think you will agree that sometimes the film does have to take some liberty. The brick that went through Boone's window was actually a toilet. Yes. But Disney decided to change that because otherwise it would have been too comical. Right. And that, I think, is a very smart choice because that's a horrible thing that happened. And yeah, it would have... That's the thing. I mean, in actuality, you're making a very big statement with a toilet. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. But the intent was to send a message. If you do that in the film, it's cheap comedy, but that's the thing. Toilets are associated with, with humor. And, and you're going to completely disservice what really happened. That also is a major... Uh, flaw that I see in the story too because Cheryl Yost's daughter is in the house when it happens right? and I feel like she learned nothing from it I mean I like her relationship with Boone's daughter because with them it's just one's a tomboy and one's a girly girl and it's really not about the color of their skin it's just that their personalities are just so different it doesn't even matter to them it's just that one is hardcore into football and one wants to play with dolls. Right. So I think that kind of lightens the mood more than anything else. But, you know, obviously Cheryl sees what's going on in her community, but, you know, she's raised in a white home. Her father's the coach of the white high school football team up until this point. She's never really been affected by something like this. And, they didn't really do anything like for as good as they play this from all sides. You didn't really hone into the child's perspective of what they're thinking in something like this. So I think they kind of missed on that point a little bit. And let's talk about that family dynamic. First off, Cheryl was at every game 
but was not as football-obsessed as the movie made her seem. I can live with this storyline where they make her a little bit more football-obsessed and she's got this relationship with her father. The same way, I understand why they would have changed the toilet to a brick, but that's one of those small changes where you manipulate a little bit of reality, but you still put substance in the film. Right. Something still did travel through the window. Something that was meant to do harm and upset the family still traveled through the window. Right. Now, going back to the family dynamic with Cheryl, this was something that the real coach Yost, who recently passed away, he was very upset about this. Very upset about this portrayal in this movie. First off, Cheryl has passed away. She died very young. Young, yeah. Unknown heart condition. She died when she was, I think, 34. So, terribly sad for the family. The family. There he were had a wife three other daughters. And three other kids. So, I don't, again, I don't know why they had to change all of this. I understand they wanted to build this unique relationship between father and daughter, but they could have done it without it being a broken home. But, you know, you're talking about not taking liberties. They were divorced in real life. And the other daughters were not as into football. So that's the thing. If the mother's not really in the picture, you're going to want to know why. So obviously you have to establish that they are divorced. But, like, the next question is going to be, why doesn't Cheryl live with her? So you have to strengthen that bond between the two of them. That's really not what's going through my head. I think the character's annoying, personally. I mean... Played by Hayden Panettiere. I was going to say, played by a little Hayden Panettiere, knocks it out of the park. She's great. I just think that the character's annoying, especially because the way that she talks about football, you think that she's going to have this, like, magical key that, like, and say something so insightful that makes them win... And I mean, yeah, she does sit with Boone and she does, you know, she gives him the point about the weak side. But it's not really that, like, holy grail of knowledge that she passes over. Never that aha moment from the child. No, but that also wouldn't have served to the story either because the thing is, aside from you know, having to prove his position in the community, Boone has to prove that he's the right man for the job. Right. So she can't really hand him the answer. Correct. But I honestly think that she was kind of a useless character. No disrespect to the real family. Sure. Another scene that proves my point where sometimes you do need to take some liberties in order to make the story more interesting. The championship game was actually a day game, but instead in the movie, they played at night. Obviously, you know, with the lights on the football field, way, way more dramatic. Yeah, let's talk about that game. Okay. For a moment. To start with, in the film version of this story, the team rallies around the fact that they are so far undefeated. They've come this far. And now they have to win without Gary because Gary is paralyzed in his hospital bed. Right. Gary Bertier was in a car accident. 
Gary Bertier was paralyzed from the waist down weeks after this game was played. He played in this game. He was injured in a car accident coming back from his senior banquet, the award ceremony that they Mm -hmm. gave after this game was played. I get what you're saying, but structurally... You're going to have this big win celebratory moment. The community has overcome its racial issues and rallied behind this team. And then the guy's going to get in a car accident and end up in the hospital. You're going to end on such a downer. Also, I don't know if that's something that I would have wanted to see in the end credits where, you know, they give you the little one sentence blurb on the where are they now. Well, after the game, Gary got into a car accident and is paralyzed. Like, no, that's that's also a disservice to him. Here's how you get around that. Gary becomes a gold medal athlete at the Paralympics. Who coached him to those games? Yost. Right. Who rallied behind him? His teammates. So, you could have had the drama, the false fake ending, uh, the false uh, happy ending. Right. Gary gets in the accident. Now, in spite of it all, even though they've already accomplished their goal, the point of this movie was to show that people can grow, and this is more than football. How better to show that this is more than football than for the coaching staff and the players to rally behind him in his biggest time of need and watch him become a Paralympic gold medalist? No, and... You actually make a really good point because one of my other big issues with this film is because it starts and ends with it starts and ends with a funeral to start. Totally fine, because it does try to lure you into believing that this is at the funeral after the shooting at the grocery store. Right. But. I feel it's so anticlimactic at the end because, you know, the team walks by and they salute Gary at his at his grave. You know, they just buried him. But it's like. And then the movie just ends. Yeah. And what did we learn? There's no closure because we don't see how the town is now. We don't see that this team was a stepping stone for growth in this community we don't see how it's reflected in the bigger picture. It's just that they all came back for Gary, which you would expect them to do because he was well-liked. And, you know, being that they all did overcome their issues with each other, they have no reason not to come back and pay their respects. So I agree with you there. It would have been a much more effective ending, not to mention the fact that I hate the way the last 10 minutes of this film are edited. I think him alone in that hospital bed, first of all, the shots linger on him way too long. Like when he's cheering, it holds and doesn't cut out. And it's it's just like hanging in the air and it's weird. I mean, when he kicks the nurse out, that's kind of funny. Yeah. But like, this isn't like you're, to coin the term from the recent Spider-Man, the man in the chair in an action movie, where even though he's alone, there's a lot going on. You know, there there's humor and there's like a tense tone in the scene. 
tonally, it's kind of weird because granted for the non-sports fans, you have to give them something. So what do you have? The dramatic lighting on the football field and thankfully no slow motion shots because that would have just cheesed the whole thing up. But you've got that driving music. So you're building that emotion and then you cut to the paralyzed guy in the bed. It doesn't cut against each other. It's awkward. There's no, like, my heart does not swell at the end of this movie the same way it does in D2. You know what my other big problem is with this championship game? I understand, and you're going to make your counterpoint, that we need to make this exciting for film. I, at the risk of repeating myself, as I do every week on this show anyway... No. We'll rely on, if you thought it was a good enough story, you shouldn't have to fabricate so much. In the dying moments, the game-winning touchdown, 9-7, final score. Do you know what the final score of the actual championship game was? I don't. 27 to nothing, Titans. That sounds uh, familiar. Where, where did I see that? Oh, your Dolphins game these past couple of weeks. Listen, I would kill to lose a game by 27 at this point. <laughs> Ouch. We would show growth <laughs> if we lost by 27 points. The one thing that happens in regards to the circumstances around this game that was true, and I'm glad it made it into the movie, the whole family resemblance thing, for those who haven't seen the movie or those who don't remember... Julius goes to visit Gary in the hospital and the nurse stops him and says, I'm sorry, it's family only. And Gary says, look at him. Don't you see the family resemblance? And it's meant comedically. That did happen. It, it wasn't just Julius, though. It happened with multiple members of the football team. But I am glad that that made it into the film. See, and that's interesting because that sounds like such a screenwriting moment. But I love that moment. Like, that's where you're your real emotion is. It's yes. not coming from the game, and it's certainly not, like I said, coming from when he's alone in that room. But that moment is so impactful. It's great. And that's that, that kind of gives you the warm and fuzzies knowing that that was true. All told, I like this movie a lot because I have convinced myself that it is inspired by a true story and is mostly a work of fiction because that's exactly what it is. Very little about what is in this movie actually happened. The 3 a.m. run to Gettysburg, to the battlegrounds, then that didn't happen either. Most of what happens in this film, other than the names of the characters, the names of the school, the names of the team, and the final record, most of what happens in this movie is either a total lie or is told out of order to create drama. I said it before, I'm not going to say it again. I would have been happier seeing a film about the players having to come around off of their own biases, because mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that the racial tensions were not quite as hot as they are displayed in this movie... It was still there. I almost feel like this movie would have worked better 
if the movie would have been more about Boone and what he was going to do to integrate the team, get them to forget about their biases, have them all colorblind, and play to win the game. The whole get off the bus, defense is on this bus, and offense is on that bus, and I'm mixing you all. The real Herman Boone actually did that. He really did do that at at the training camp. I feel like if you were going to stray this far off, then maybe to make a film that was based on a true story, perhaps you didn't go about it the right way. Maybe, just maybe, you should have focused more on the character and the football games almost become secondary to the greatness that is the man. Right, but I think that's what you're kind of losing sight of is that there's a difference between inspired by and based off of versus a biopic. So, yeah, for what you're saying, then it would have been more effective as a biopic, but that's not what this was. But I'd hardly say it was based on a true story. I'd say it's inspired by a true story. I would agree with that because you're right. I will give you that. They did take a lot of liberties, but... You know, for me, somebody who's not that big into football, I can sit down and I can enjoy this movie for the story that it does tell. Honestly, football is not what this movie is about at all when you strip it down. Of course not. So that's where, you know, the based on part or inspired by part, you lay the groundwork and you build a story around it. And that's kind of why they have to take some liberty. We're interested to know what you have to say about it. Do you love this movie? Is it not for you? Do you think it's based on a true story or inspired by a true story? You let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. News this week, we got a Frozen trailer. Premiered on Good Morning America this Monday. What I'm, do you think? I'm gonna let, um, I think the movie looks stunning. Visually, it looks stunning. Um, I'm interested to see what this fog or mist or cloud is that has taken over this town. And once you go in, you don't come out. Spoiler. Elsa's going to come out just fine. I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I want to learn more about her powers, how she got them why she has them. I want to know more about her parents. I'm ready to go. I don't think this movie's going to be funny. That's what I caught. That was my vibe. This is not going to be as lighthearted as the first one. Well, it's funny that you say that because that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, where's my Olaf? He's really not in the trailer at all. Not until the very end. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think it looks beautiful. I think we're going to get a lot of questions answered as to where her powers came from, but I don't like this Elsa's acting weird thing. She's always acted weird. Exactly. Why is this anything that's new? Yeah, now she's got voices in her head. Um, But uh, I I don't know. I I wish it was more like tied to the trolls. I thought that's where where we were going with this, and clearly it's not. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. 
That's maybe they're all coming from that stone hedgy thing. I don't know. Which would kind of make sense for the stone trolls. Yeah, they're just not, they're, they're not giving up a lot. There's still a lot of mystery. It's by design. Of course, well, of course it is. They're not going to give away the whole movie in the trailer, but I'm still left with a lot of questions. And I'm curious to see if we get another trailer in the next month or two that exposes a little bit more. It wouldn't surprise me if we don't get much else. I think if anything, we're probably going to get a scene and that will be your comedic Olaf scene that has nothing to do with any plot reveal. It could be. Uh, Again, let us know what you guys thought of the Frozen 2 trailer, the new one, or both of them, whatever, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Don't forget in the next, it's, it's crazy now, it's only a couple of weeks away, Monorail with Monoreal. I'm, I'm so very excited. excited. Yes, we are hosting a little a little social gathering when we are down in Walt Disney World with some of our listeners. Uh, make sure you keep an eye on our social media for all of the details. And if you would like to join us and you are already on vacation, you are cordially invited. And maybe, just maybe, you don't have a trip booked yet. But God knows you can always use a trip to Disney. And what better excuse than to jump on the monorail and enjoy some lovely cocktails with Monorail Radio. And Jackie will get you there. Yes, join us on our vacation or we can plan a completely different one. Well, I would prefer you com- you plan a different one. <laughs> well, you can hang out with us, I'm but I don't want you I'm not inviting our listeners to the hotel room, no. Okay. <laughs> but if you want to come in November while we're there, or if you want to go anytime, really, but I highly, highly recommend the holiday season. It's the best. You get the food and wine festival, the changeover between the fall decorations and the Christmas decorations. It really is the best time to be there. Get in touch with me either directly on our social media or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.